Good morning. Everybody's awake. Here comes Clayton. <laughs> All right, sit right there and be quiet. Okay? Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, glad everybody's able to make it back. Sage here with us this, this weekend. I'm glad to have her back here in the mountains for a few days. Um, uh, we've got several prayer requests we talked about, especially Wednesday night, but remember Jonathan's mom, I guess, is she doing all right this morning? Good, all right. She uh, is a detached retina. They get it right. Okay, so remember her. She's got her head hanging low for a few days, literally. And then Mike, doing all right? Good. Out running laps? Not running laps, yeah. VJ, you doing all right? Yeah, Judy, you doing all right? <laughs> he got his knees fixed enough they just did a little plastic surgery on his face. Uh, 54, 54 years. Congratulations to VJ and Judy. Congratulations to Judy for that one. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, uh, I know y'all. some of y'all was trying to figure out where to park out there. If you're trying to figure out what that big trailer is, that's mine and Paisley's. We're getting ready to leave from church. And we're driving to Fort Worth, Texas from here. So pray for us as we drive down and drive back. She said she didn't want to drive in. Yeah, I don't know why. but So we'll be hitting 40, then 35, and staying over in Little Rock, and then heading on down into Fort Worth tomorrow morning. Take, it's a, we're helping two churches. One church in Clemens, North Carolina, has donated this trailer, and it's loaded full of equipment to a church in Fort Worth. And uh, I offered to take it down for them and drop it off. And, so pray for a traveling grace there with that. If you got your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. This is a, a question, actually two questions here that Jesus is asking that we need to, to think about. We, there's this thing that we, it's not as big now as it used to be, but there's this, this term that was coined by Eric Erickson it's called identity crisis. We talk about identity crisis. What is an identity crisis? I'm going to define it here for you real quick. Eric believed that it was one of the most important conflicts people face in development. According to him, an identity crisis is a time of intensive analysis and exploration of different ways of looking at oneself. Trying to figure out who you are. Who are you? Who are you? I, I remember, uh, golly, this has been as a car wreck or something that I went to a long time ago. I knew the person. Grew up. He watched me grow up. We. He was one of those older guys that I used to hang out with down at Vile's Grocery, where I, you know, I told y'all a long time ago. I got my raisin down at Vile's Grocery every morning, at six o'clock. Me and Dad would roll in, and before school, I'd drink my coffee and have my honey bun with the old guys, and that's where I learned life. One of those men, was, I'm pretty sure he's in a car wreck, but I showed up and uh, we were talking and he looks at me and he says, who are you? Who are you? That's, that's a good question. Paul Willie, my, my great grandpa that died, he's 101. He was, it's hilarious. I don't even want to talk about half of what he used to tell me, but I'll never forget when, before he got really bad, I go in, sit down, talk to him. I'd say, hey, Paul, how are you? And we'd talk a little bit and he would look at me and he'd say, who are you? His mind was slipping. 
If y'all ever had to deal with that before, especially with Alzheimer's, dementia, things like that, that hurts when they say, who are you? But it makes you stop and think a minute. Who are you? Who are you? Paul Willie couldn't remember my name, but he would say, I remember you married that girl up on Dutch Creek, didn't you? He couldn't remember his own great-grandson, but he could remember Maria, which I thought was great. That was funny. Who are you? What identity do you have as a Christian? Do you identify as a member of Chestnutdale? Do you identify as a, as a child of God? Do you identify as what? Now, we ain't doing this whole she, her, he, she, whatever, they, them. We're not doing this stuff, all right? That's, that's ridiculous. You're a boy, you're a girl. That's it. All right, we'll leave it alone. We're not identifying like that. I want you to think about your identity. Who are you? Ponder on that just a second. Those with identity, identity confusion tend to feel, this is part of the, the explanation here, tend to feel out of place in the world and don't pursue a sense of identity. They don't feel like they belong here. Now, do you feel like you belong here? I'm not saying in the church. I'm saying in general, do you feel like you belong here? What does the Bible tell us about this earth? This world is not my home. Do I belong here? No. I don't. Once I was saved, he's eating something. Paisley, come get him. I think he's chewing on the, the stick. This song, we sing the song, This World is Not My Home. We read the scripture and it says heaven is our home as Christians. We, we know that we don't really belong here. As a Christian, we identify as someone, we'll just say somebody traveling through. We are of Christ and we are just moving through. Now the question is, is the church of today suffering from identity crisis? That's my question this morning. I'm not talking about Chestnut Hill. Today, as I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole. Is the church of Jesus Christ suffering from an identity crisis? I believe we could say yes. I believe looking at the churches, not all churches are like us. There's a lot of bigger churches that are, are doing great. There's a lot of big churches that are not doing so swell especially with their doctrine. There's little churches doing great, but there's little churches not doing so well either. We've got to think about the identity of the churches. Do we really know who we are as people of God? Do you know who you are and why you're here today? Do you know who you are and do you know why you're here today? If I ask you two different questions, who are you, what are you going to say? I'd say most obviously say I'm a Christian. That's, that's typically in a church. You say, who are you? You identify as a Christian. But the other question that I'd ask you, why are you here? We would get a lot of different answers, probably 40 different answers. Why are you here? Some might say, this is my church. Some might say, I grew up here. Some might say, it's because it's tradition. I just go to church. Why are you here? Why are you here? Make you think, won't it? Why are you here? Because it's Sunday and that's what you do? Why are you here? The simplest answer would be because this is my church, but that's the wrong answer. This is not your church. Sorry to bust your bubble. You might be a member. You might be on the roster here, but this is not your church. This is not it. 
We have too much hindrance in our churches today because uh, we have an identity crisis. An identity crisis in Jesus. We have forgotten who we are in Him. We need a reminder, and I'm going to remind you today. This is going to be one of those more of a oh me than an amen sermons, I promise you that. We have a problem, a huge problem in our churches right now. Each and every one of us is the church. Are we not? Tell me if I'm wrong. Are we not the church? We are the church, not this building. You have church anywhere you want to. You leave this church, you leave this church house, and you go out, you're taking it with you. You're taking the gospel with you. You're taking the word of God with you. You're taking prayer with you. You're taking your relationship with Jesus with you. You're showing love wherever you go. You're that light wherever you go. Everywhere you go, people should see Jesus on you. You should be glowing. You should have that Moses effect going on, just glowing when you leave the church. Should. That's why I say that about the church. This is not the church. You are the church. Be the church. If you're unhappy with the church, then honestly, you're suffering from identity crisis because remember, you are the church. And this proves that you are the one with a problem because you're the church. Matthew 16 is a, it's a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. We've read a lot about Jesus the uh, past few weeks, but here in Matthew, we're getting up to Matthew 16, and it's that turning point. By this time, he's been preaching for months, months. He's getting a, a crowd around him. He's well-known in Israel, and his, his fame has spread. It's far and wide. The common folk, I like this, the common folk have embraced him. The, the lowest of the low, the, the outcast of the world, the people that are not inside the city wall, the people on the outside, the, the Galileans, the fishermen, the sinners, they're following Jesus, the common folk. He's, he's built up a reputation. He's, he's preaching. He's teaching. He's healing. He's mentoring. He's being a lot for God. Along the roads in Galilee, men discussed him. They talked about him. He had that much of an impact. That's what happens, ain't it? When, when somebody starts doing something, their name gets out there. Uh, what, Rebecca, what's Rebecca's last name? Just had the triplets. Isaacs. So I, I got thinking about her. She had the, she, she's a little tiny thing. Like, she looked like Paisley before she got pregnant. I'm, I'm dead serious. She's a little tiny thing. And she had triplets. They induced her. They took them September 1st. They took them the other day. That's a big thing. People are talking about that. You don't have triplets. I mean, twins is kind of rare, but triplets. It's amazing. So right now, that's the talk of the town. That's the talk of Zionville. That's the talk of Vilas. That's the talk of Watauga County. We got triplets. Jesus had been out doing what Jesus was called to do, what he was sent here to do. And so people were talking about him. He had a name. He had a, a good name for the most part. But when you get into Matthew 16, it gets pretty clear that Jesus has now been rejected by his own people. Bible, that, that's prophecy being fulfilled. He was rejected by his own. His fate was sealed. The cross is just ahead of him. Not much longer and he'll be on Golgotha. The common folk heard him. They didn't know who he was though. Remember that. The common folk, they heard him. They heard him preach. They heard him as he stood up on the mountain, as he taught. They heard him, 
but they didn't know who he was. See, we're having that problem in our churches nowadays. Give them 45 minutes, give them an hour to preach. You hear about Jesus, but you don't know him. There's a big difference. Big difference in hearing him and knowing him. They liked him. They loved Jesus, but they didn't worship him like they were supposed to. To them, he was a great teacher. To them, he was a, a miracle worker, and that was all. Jesus asked two questions, and we're going to look at those two questions. And he did that to get his disciples to understand who he is and who they are in him. I don't need Max helping me read scripture. <laughs> and I pray today that we no longer suffer from identity crisis as we read this. I want you to stand with me, and we're going to read Matthew 16, 13. Or we could have that little feller. What was that guy's name, Paisley? He can come up here and read it. Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, here's question number one. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now listen, this is question number two right here. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, that I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's pray. Lord, again this morning we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for stirring our hearts this morning. Before we even get into the scripture, God, I pray that folks are starting to think about who you are and who they are. Are they identified in Christ or identified in the world? God, I thank you for what you've done on the cross for us so that we can identify as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, this morning that as we go through this message, God, that it would just touch the hearts of those that may be confused. Those that may not have an identity in you yet, today would be that day of salvation. They can identify as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I pray today that you would bless those that are here, just open up their eyes, open up their hearts. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit pour out upon each and every one of them that are here today. And God, I pray that you'd loosen my tongue today and give us the words that need to be spoken to glorify you and to honor you. And God, I pray that's what we do today. Glorify and honor you in all that we do. We love you. We praise you this morning. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Can you have a seat? All right. First thing we're going to look at is the world's view about Jesus. So the we... We've been in this thing now for a couple thousand years. Jesus has been around. The world's got its own view of things. The world has its own view of everything nowadays. But what is the world's view of Jesus? If you go back and look at verse 13, 
and 14, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, that I the Son of Man am? And they said, and they said Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It was here on this road where Jesus, he, he had a pole. He, he, had a, he was taking a pole. Who? Who are people saying that I am? When, when you think about that, I think about what you see on television screen, especially during elections where you see the numbers going up and down about who's winning, who's losing, or whatever it is. I see as Jesus is asking this question, he's getting all these different responses back from the disciples, and they're telling him, some are saying you're John, some are saying that you're Elijah, some are saying that you might be Isaiah, or some are saying that you might be a prophet, some are just saying different things. We don't know. They don't know, not we, but they don't know who you are. You've got them confused. And so he's, he's wanting to know. He knows, but he's wanting to hear it from them, who, who they are, who he is. Jesus already knew that answer. And he wanted his disciples to acknowledge what other people were saying. We do the same thing. You hear rumors, you hear things being said, and then you just want confirmation. What is exactly being said about me or what's being said about the company or what's being said about uh, a family member or whatever it is? What's being said? You want confirmation. You know the answer, but you want confirmation. Jesus is wanting a little bit of confirmation there. Again, he knows the answer. So they gave him the four most popular answers. John the Baptist, now that, that's, that was Herod's answer. And, and that's so whatever Herod was saying, the others were taken with him. They, they took it, I hate to say it like this because we're talking about Jesus, but they took it as the gospel that he was John the Baptist. And then others were saying that he was Elijah or Elias. That, and the reason they said that was, uh, was very popular because the Jews expected Elijah to return. So at some point, they thought that Jesus was Elijah. They thought he had came back. They thought that this was it. This was him. This is God's man that he sent back. The others said that he's Jeremiah, which was one of the greatest prophets. And then other people were saying that he's just a prophet or a spokesman for God. So nobody really knew. They were good guesses. I mean, if you look at, at the, the tops of people, those are some great people that, that, they were, that he was being compared to. But you can't compare Jesus to any of those. There's no comparison with those. The world has its own view of Jesus, and, and he is still misunderstood by unbelievers today. He's misunderstood because they don't read about him. They have made up their mind before they've ever done any research. That's, see, you got to study. Paul tells us study to show that self approved. We have to study. So these unbelievers that have written Jesus off as whatever they think he is or feel that he is, it's because they refuse to study him. They refuse to not just read it with their eyes, but to read it with their heart. If they crack open that Bible and get started reading, they'd change their mind. They would change their worldly view of Jesus and they'd make it more of a Christ view of him, more of a godly view of who he is. The world puts Jesus side by side with other religions. And I don't know why. I don't understand Christianity, what we believe, is not a religion. It is a relationship. What we believe cannot be lumped in together with Buddhism and Hinduism and the Mormons and the other, the other things that are floating around out there. You can't put Christians in that group. Where's Muhammad right now? 
Anybody? Guess where he's at? Hell. I guarantee he's in hell. <laughs> he's dead. I was looking for dead, but hell works too. He's dead. Dead at four o'clock. Muhammad, dead. Died and dead. Go back, you're talking about the Mormons a while ago, Joseph Smith. He died and is still dead. Think about that. You cannot put us as believers in Jesus Christ in the same group of believers in Buddha or Hinduism or Mormonism. You can't put us together. They're all dead. My Jesus is still alive. There's a big difference. I'm, I'm worshiping and serving a loving, living God. They are worshiping. I don't know if they're serving. I don't know what they're doing. But they're worshiping something dead. A dead idol. That's what they're worshiping. Jesus has no equal. He is God in the flesh. We talk about every year at Christmas. Jesus is God with skin on him. He is God in the flesh. And no man can stand alongside of him. You can't compare. Philippians 2.10 says that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me make this clear to you. I'm going to break my neck over this chair. I'm going to make this really clear. Muhammad, he had to bow his knee. When he died, he bowed his knee. Confucius, when he died, he had to bend his knee. He had to bow down. Joseph Smith, when he died, he had to bow down. He had to bend his knee. And he had to confess Jesus Christ. But you go back, so did Billy Graham and Billy Sunday. And I, Lord, I can think of a hundred of them right now, but even those preachers did too. We all, we're not exempt. Every single one of us has to, every one of us will have to bow down. As he said right here, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will bow and everyone will confess Jesus Christ. Everyone. There is no way around it. There's no religion out there that will exempt you from meeting Jesus. It's sometime, one day, we're all going to face him. Every single one of us. And there will be confession. And you will confess him. For us to understand our identity, we have to understand that the world has its own view of Jesus. Our view and the world's view of Jesus is two different views. It's sad. They're lost. The second thing we need to learn is the church's view about Jesus. The church's view about Jesus. He that, uh, verse 15 says, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, I love Simon Peter right here. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has absolutely hit the nail on the head. You are the Son of the living God. Don't you know Jesus smiled? Don't you know that put a big old grin on his face when, when Peter said that? You are the Son of the living God. I love how Jesus followed that up. My Father is like the Holy Spirit. 
told him to say that. He knew that. He felt that. He believed it. When he said it, he believed it when he said it. He didn't make it up. He wasn't trying to get brownie points with Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew that he was the son of the living God. And I, he, I don't know. I can just imagine. It's like salvation. Whenever you just ask Jesus into your heart, and that joy that overcomes you, that, that the fulfillment that you get, that peace that passeth all understanding through salvation. That just that that feeling. Don't you know that that's what flowed out into Peter? Don't you know that that's how Peter felt as he was confessing, as he was saying, You are the Son of the Living God. Ah oh, man, I bet he shouted that one. Peter was saying that Jesus is the anointed one. He's saying, you are the one. You're the one that the Old Testament had predicted would come. I read this the other day, and I wrote it down because it was, fell in perfectly with this right here. What Peter was saying is Old Testament. He was going back to the Old Testament. I don't know who wrote this, but it's, it's genius. Peter is telling them, you are the saving seed of Genesis. You are the sacrifice of Exodus. You are the lamb of Leviticus. You are the star of numbers. You are the promised prophet of Deuteronomy. That's fire right there. It's a Torah. He's been, he, he's, he's lined them all up. This, these are the five things, the five books that the Jews are, are learning. This is what they know. This is what they quote. This is what the scrolls say. And Peter is explaining to them what they have learned, what they know in their heart. He's explaining to, to anyways, he's just telling Jesus and the others around, you are the one. You are the great I am. You are the good shepherd. You are the prince of peace. You are Emmanuel. You are the son of the living God. He knew it. He believed it. Jesus is everything the Old Testament said the Messiah would be. And they knew it. And that Can you imagine the feeling that they had being in his presence? Knowing that they are in the presence of the one that is fulfilling prophecy. The prophecy that from birth until right at that moment that they have learned and they understood and was waiting on was being fulfilled before their eyes. Jesus is on the throne of the universe because the Bible says that he is the son of the living God. He's not a man. He is a son of the living God. He's not just a man. He is a son of the living God. Notice I keep saying the living God because that's what it is. Not just the son of God, the son of the living God. Now if we take the names of Jesus in the Bible as, as whom Jesus is to the church, then we'd never suffer for an identity crisis. And this is something Keith touched on this a couple weeks ago, I think, in Sunday school. And I wrote a bunch of them down just because of you. In the, in the, the Old Testament and the, the Jewish language, there's different words for God, and I got them for you. He is, according to Peter, and according to the Old Testament, he is Elohim, and that is transcendent, or mighty and strong. He is El Shaddai, all-sufficient. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. He is Jehovah Kaddish, 
the Lord who sacrifices. He is Jehovah Tisting you. I can never say that right, but he is the Lord our righteousness. Who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you? Just, I want, when I say it, I want you to think of Jesus actually saying this. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? If we was to start now, I'd never make it to Texas tomorrow. Because every single one of us has a list as long as you are of who we say Jesus is. I'm not wrong. Because there's all kinds of titles that we as believers have for Jesus. My all, my love, my savior, my lord, my king, my prince. You name it, just keep it going. That's who we say he is. As a, as a believer, that's what we should be saying. Peter said it well, though. If we had to sum it up with one thing, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. This is who he is. This is who he is to you, I hope. We don't have to walk around feeling defeated. We serve a triumphant God. Don't ever hang your head down low. Unless you're wrapping the detaches. <laughs> Y'all have to know about that one. Don't ever hang your head down low. Don't ever feel defeated because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross through his sacrifice, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We cannot hang our head down. We cannot feel defeated because he is a triumphant Savior, the living God. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about Jesus. What matters is what you know about him. Not up here. I'm not talking about this. It's what you know down here. What do you know in your heart? about Jesus. Thirdly, we need to look at the reality of Jesus. If you look at verse 16 again, it says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whether or not the world understands Him, or whether or not you accept Him, He is and will always be the Christ. You can't change Him. You can reject Him. You can accept Him. The world can't change him. The world might say he's a, he's a good teacher, he's a, a moral person. The world can put all these different spins on who they think that he is, but in the end, he's still the Christ. In the end, he is still Jesus. In the end, he is still the son of the living God. There'll be no changes whatsoever. He is who he says he is. Amen. The reality of Jesus is found over in John chapter one and I'm going to read this because this is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made in Him, or by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and in the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the lot that all men through him might believe. He was not that lot, but was sent to bear witness of that lot. That was the true lot, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power 
to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Give me a little chills right there. I'll go shave my neck again. That, that is Jesus. That is Jesus. In the beginning. We go back to Genesis and then we know what that says about in the beginning. But you've got to go back to John to remember. We need that reminder too. Jesus was with him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was Jesus. There with Him from the beginning. I'll get you a little excited. Jesus was in the beginning when the world was created. He came in the flesh in order to be our Savior. He came in the flesh. He didn't have to. He didn't have to, but He did. He was willing to provide something for us that we could never earn, something we could never obtain on our own. Salvation. We can't do it. Try as you may. It'll never happen. You can't be good enough. And he knew it. You can't be kind enough. And he knew it. You can't be rich enough. And he knew it. You can't be loving enough. And he knew it. And so he gave his only begotten son. The reality of Jesus is that he is the only, only way to heaven. That is it. I'm the way, truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus says that. That's the reality of Jesus. He is the Son of the living God. He is the Christ. He is the only way to heaven. He is Jesus. He is Jesus. And that's true whether you accept it or not, I'll tell you that. I don't care. I can't sugarcoat that. I can't. Like it or lump it. Take it or leave it. Accept him or reject him. He is Christ. Always will be. Always has been. Always will be. He will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You cannot change him. So my question again this morning before we close out is this. Two questions. Who are you? And who is Jesus? Who are you? And who is Jesus? I will answer for myself who I am and who he is. I can't give you, I can't put words in your mouth. Y'all have to come up with this on your own because if you have that relationship with Jesus that I hope and pray that you have, sometimes you're speechless. Other times you can't find enough words to describe him and who he is to you. Who are you and who is Jesus? If you don't know for sure that you are God's possession by Jesus Christ. If you don't know about your salvation, there, I'm going to remind you, there's no middle ground. Can't, you can't ride the fence. You can't straddle the fence. 
I want you to remember that. You're either all in or all out. Jesus said, Jesus said if you're not for him, then you're against him. So where do you stand with him? With him? Or against him? With him or against him? Where do you stand with Jesus? We're going to pray. And I want you to think about that question as we pray. Think about who you are and who he is. Lord God, this morning as we come back to you humbly, seeking guidance, seeking favor, Lord, seeking answers. God, I pray this morning that each one of us can say beyond the shadow of a doubt that we know that we know that we know who you are. God, if we know who you are, then we should know who we are. We should identify as a Christian. We should identify as someone that has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We should know what he has done for us on that cross. We should know. But Father, this morning as we come to you, if there be one here that may be a little confused, may not have that relationship, they don't identify as being in you this morning. Lord, I pray that the conviction would fall in their heart. God, I pray today that for what has been said and done, God, as it honored you, as we worship you, that it placed a burden on their heart for their salvation, for their own salvation. And Lord, for those that are here today that are saved, God, I pray that what was said and done will put a burden on their heart for those that may be lost that they know. Lord, as we just said, there's no middle ground. You, you can't ride the fence. We're either all in with you or we're all out and bound for hell. And I pray, God, today that you would give us the courage, give us the words, give us the wisdom, give us uh, the gospel, give us the, the scripture that we need as we approach these people that are bound for hell. Or give us what needs to be spoken that would change their hearts and bring them to you and to that love and to that grace and they can experience that mercy that we have already. And I thank you, Lord, for, for what you've done. God, we thank you for the questions that you've asked. But we need to be reminded of who you are sometimes. How great thou art. How mighty thou art. How loving, how long-suffering. God, we need that reminder every now and then. We thank you for, for what you are and who you are to each one of us. And I pray again this morning that you would just continue to touch in the lives of those that are here. Bless them as they leave this place. Keep them safe in all that they do. And give you praise, honor, and glory today for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. All this in the Son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll pray for us as we travel, and I will not be back here by Wednesday night. I have done determined that. So, leave that to Keith and James. But we're back here Sunday, and we'll go at it again. Pray for us, and uh, if you. Uh, if you haven't been here on Wednesday night, I will say this real quick. We've been watching, I didn't like the one as good Wednesday night, but we've been watching Dr. James Merritt, and he's an amazing teacher out of Atlanta, Georgia. So if you want to be up here uh, Wednesday night, we'll be watching that, I think, again this Wednesday. Pretty good stuff. So come join us, if you will. You're, you're dismissed.